Retail health clinics and their effect on the nurse practitioner profession. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Lisa DeAndre, your host, and with me today is Elaine DeSimone. Elaine is a nurse practitioner as well as a physician assistant. She is the president-elect of the American College of Clinicians and a clinical associate professor in the nurse practitioner program and director of the postmasters program at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. And today we're discussing how the retail health clinics will affect the nurse practitioner profession. Hi, Elaine. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Elaine, when did you first hear about the retail health clinic model, and what were your thoughts? Well, I first heard about it when the listserv started buzzing about convenient care, the convenient care movement, and that was around 2000. One of the first clinics opened in 2000, and my first thought was, this is very interesting. This is going to cause a lot of buzz in the healthcare community and a lot of controversy, and I was right about that. Can you describe in general what kind of medicine they practice in the retail health clinics? The retail health clinic model is a very prescribed model of health care. It's episodic care. It is not a comprehensive model of health care. It doesn't pretend to be a comprehensive model of health care. There are a number of entities, episodic illnesses, that one is allowed to treat in the retail health setting, and those entities are driven by protocols, which are based on current evidence, and the protocols really dictate what the nurse practitioner or physician assistant can do in terms of diagnosis and in terms of treatment. There is no follow-up per se other than to have the person follow up with their primary care provider. The other thing about the model that is pretty unique is that it's available to people well outside the, the range of what a normal primary care provider's office would be available. So you can go to one of these settings at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday morning rather than go to an emergency room. I like the idea of the transparent costs and the increased access to care that these clinics offer. And I think that's caused competition and has forced primary care medicine to take another look at their models. Do you think that the retail health clinic may be the catalyst that makes some needed changes in the primary care in the U.S. health system? I think that this healthcare model, because it has exploded on the scene, we have more than 900 clinics and, you know, there's talk of many, many more opening. 40 states out of 50 have clinics available in them. I think that it has created a lot of controversy and I think that it has created a lot of turf wars. It is my hope that some of the major stakeholders in this movement are able to sit down at the table and use the retail health model and expand it so that it can be a very viable part of continuing care. I think that it's very beneficial for somebody to be able to go in in an episodic kind of way and get health care. But what I would love to see is that this model be expanded and used for 
other kinds of primary care services because it is not a substitute for primary care. One of the main arguments that the American Medical Association has made against the convenient care movement is that it is not a substitute for primary care. And I totally agree with them on that front. What I think is the problem is that our primary health care system is totally broken. We really have failed in this country to provide preventive care, to provide chronic care to those people who need long-term outpatient primary care, and we have not done a good job. And so the retail healthcare movement has taken a very, very small piece of that and has shown that it is extremely successful. There's a 99% patient satisfaction rate, and so far, knock on wood if I could, there have been no lawsuits because it is very circumscribed, it is very protocol-driven. I would like to see it expand. I would like to see it expand so that it is not just driven by private enterprise, that it has the stakeholders of medicine, it has the stakeholders of nurse practitioners and physician assistants, so that it becomes a much more useful model within primary care. That's what I was going to ask you. Are these stakeholders in the medical field? Many of the stakeholders are not traditionally what you would expect to be in the medical field. There are very, very few clinics that have opened up through physician, nurse practitioner, PA enterprise. What you see are entities like Walmart, CVS, pharmacies, opening chains and chains of clinics. Now, they're not really in the, quote, medical delivery field, but they have pharmacies, they sell a lot of non-prescription medications, and this is another bone of contention, if you will, with some of the traditional medical practitioners. Do you think that this model is being looked at for a national health care plan? I don't think that this model is being looked at for a national health care plan. I think that what the current candidates are looking at is really just a means of paying for our health care. I don't know that any one candidate has figured out exactly how to use the wonderful services of physician assistants and nurse practitioners and how to couple that with sending people off for medical care when they need it to develop a real preventive national health care plan. So unfortunately, I think that the convenient care movement is kind of paralleling what the talk that you're hearing about how to pay for health care at this point. So does it make sense to educate a nurse practitioner and then put them in the local drugstore with a cookbook menu? Well, there are many, many nurse practitioners, as you know, who are quite willing to go and practice in this kind of setting, and I think that that's great. If somebody is wanting to do that, then that's wonderful. I think that it has to be somebody who is willing to do that. I think that there are many people who find that the protocol-driven episodic care model is limiting. It's limiting in terms of intellectual stimulation. It's limiting in terms of what that person has been educated to do. So, you know, just as there are nurse practitioners who and physician assistants who thrive on working in the most acute, stressful area of the hospital, there are people who will want to come and work in this area. So nurse practitioners are watching this happen. They're watching the explosion of these retail health clinics. And do they see this as a positive model for the profession? I think that that's also a bit of controversy. I think that they see this as an opportunity to become 
very well known to brand themselves, if you will, to the American public. Because as you know, for many, many years, both nurse practitioners and physician assistants have had title problems. I don't know how many times I've been asked if I'm a practicing nurse, if I'm a licensed practical nurse, if I'm an assistant, when I'm going to become a doctor. And so this model has really brought to the forefront the fact that there are advanced practice clinicians who can diagnose and treat. And for that reason, I think that nurse practitioners, organized nurse practitioners, our national organizations think that this is a positive model. On the other hand, there are some negatives to it in terms of our profession in general. And one of those negatives is that we are, quote, being once again hailed as employees. We are not reaping the benefits as a profession per se of the retail healthcare movement. It is the major corporations. It is CVS. It is Walgreens. And so I personally see that as a detriment. I would much rather see money invested into practices that are interdisciplinary, that nurse practitioners, PAs, and physicians can engage in so that dollars are not diverted toward some of these large corporations. I think that that's one of also one of the problems that the American Medical Association has with the retail healthcare industry. They see their dollars shrinking dramatically. They see that they are not able to get paid for primary care visits and they're forced to see 15, 20, 30 patients a session in order to just keep their overhead and keep their staff in their offices. And then they see that this pot of money is being diverted and it's not being diverted within the healthcare system. It's being diverted into corporations. And for that reason, there's much concern. I know the AMA has had opposition to this for many reasons, one which you just brought up. But one of their comments has been that things will be missed. What's your feeling about that? Well, frankly, I think it's a ruse. Frankly, I think that the AMA has a mindset that they are the protectorate of the American healthcare system and of the American patient. There is not one shred of evidence that says that things are missed, especially, especially in that kind of a setting where there is so much protocol driven for really episodic kinds of entities. So I I don't think that things are going to be missed. As I said, there has not yet been a malpractice suit brought against any of these clinics. There's been logged over a million visits since they've started. And really, what the nurse practitioners and physician assistants see in the clinics are very, very basic kinds of entities. You know, is the sore throat a cancer? You know, I, I really find that to be an offensive tactic to use. I think that the concern about diverting healthcare dollars is a legitimate one. I think the fact that it's not truly a primary care model that doesn't provide continuity of care is a legitimate one. To say that a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant is going to, quote, miss something, especially in that setting, I think is a specious argument. And it's one that they tout very, very vocally. Elaine, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been my pleasure. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at ReachMD.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Thanks for listening.